All right. Um, well, good morning, Austin Stone. Uh, if you are watching this online and you can see that I've been crying just a little bit, um, the song we just sang uh, is extremely powerful and, and it fits this place that we're in today. And um, yeah, if I wipe tears, just know that they're real. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and start over. Good morning, church. <laughs> Family, how y'all doing this morning? Y'all doing all right this morning? Okay, if you are new to our church and if you're watching online or if you are at one of our campuses, I want to say welcome to the Austin Stone Community Church. My name is Jimmy McNeil and I serve as an elder and I also serve as the West, um, West Campus Worship Pastor um, at the West Congregation. So shout out to my people over at West. I know it's like Family Sunday. Y'all are wrangling some kids right now. I love y'all. They won't distract me, I promise. Um, downtown, it is good to see y'all this morning. Um, I have not been in this room in a good minute. And y'all, it still smells the same. <laughs> For real, it still smells exactly the same. It's kind of nostalgic and I'm a little excited. That probably is why I was weeping on the front row a few minutes ago, um, just knowing and being reminded of all the things that God has done and how faithful he's been to me in this room. Um, so we are in a series right now on the life of David. All right, and, and what I get the privilege of preaching to you about today is... David sparing Saul. He's sparing Saul's life. And we're going to be in 1 Samuel 24. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to that. If you've got your phone, go ahead and click to it. But it'll be on the screen behind me as well. But I want to catch you up to where we are. We've talked about in the last couple of weeks David being anointed king. We've talked about the story of David and Goliath. We've also talked about David's friendship with Jonathan. And David is, has been anointed king, but he's not king just yet, right? He's not. Saul is still the current king, and he's pursuing him. And more and more, Saul is seeing David as a threat, not only to his kingship, but to his son Jonathan's kingship as well. So David is now on the run. He's now on the run. That's where we find ourselves in chapter 24. This is a really dark, a very dark and treacherous time period in David's life. Many of the Psalms were written during this time frame in the season of life where he was constantly on the run and under threat of death. David is a person who has this incredible promise from God, of God upon his life, but at the same time he's experiencing all this great, this great level of threat and danger and despair and sorrow. It sounds a little bit like the church. I think we can relate. And that's where we find ourselves in chapter 24. So let's read it together. Y'all ain't got to read with me, but I'm going to read it. All right? Y'all can read it on the screen. I ain't got to read it out loud. Here we go. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to, speak, or went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats. That means in the Greek, wild goats, okay? So he went to, to pursue them in that place. So first off, the first thing that I saw in this, I was like, who in the world are these men? Like, I thought this dude was on the run. Who are these dudes that are with him now? What in the world, where did that come from? And then 1 Samuel told me this. 1 Samuel 22.2 said this. Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander of them. It feels like a foreshadow of the church, doesn't it? It does, because it's a community of outcasts. 
distressed, indebted, fighting bitterness. But together they were bound by God's anointing and presence. Verse 3. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. And now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. So Saul now begins his pursuit, right? And he's trying to find David and kill him. So David and his men are hiding in the wilderness. And in Gedi is a place on the western shore of the Dead Sea. That's where it is. And when I researched this place, it was a really beautiful but uniquely beautiful place. It was extremely rough terrain, but it also had waterfalls and places and places, different areas to rest and hide from anyone that's chasing you. And I can see why David would choose this place. I can see why he could choose it to hide from Saul. And I could also see why Saul would choose it to go relieve himself. And when I read that part, relieve himself, I was like, I mean. I get it. Okay. When I'm on a long trip and I got my kids with me, I mean, there's multiple times where all of us are relieving ourselves. All right. And there's times with my wife or if anyone is like this, that when you're in a car with friends or wherever you're going, you might need to relieve yourself a little bit longer than normal because of all the craziness, the craziness happening in that car. You know what I mean? So he's relieving himself and he might be modest here where he tells these 3000 men, Hey fellas, I'm going to go relieve myself. And I think they all probably knew what he was talking about. Now, we don't want to get all into his, the details of Saul's bathroom habits, all right? But it is, isn't it incredible that the Bible records the very ordinary things in life? It doesn't just try to exist on purely spiritual abstract playing fields, right? It gets involved in our humanness, even our most basic needs and functions. So this dude is in a cave relieving himself. He's not on guard. He's very vulnerable in this moment. And it happened to be the exact same cave that David and his men are in. The exact same one. And you can think about this cave kind of like, have any of y'all been to Georgetown to the... um, the uh, Natural Bridge Caverns or in San Antonio or, um, or anywhere like that, that's, there's like all these different places and spaces and places you can hide. That's what I imagine when I think about this cave. It's not just this little area right here, but there's all these tunnels and all these ways to, to go through the cave. And this is what happened next. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day in which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him, you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. The fellows are in the cave, y'all. They're like, oh, snap, what? I mean, no, yo, did you, that's Saul. But they're whispering, that's Saul. And they're like, this is the day, this is the day that, you know, they're like, they're excited. You know, they're they're pumped. They're excited because they're like, man, David, this is what God told you. He's going to give the people into your hand and he's going to give Saul into your hand, just like he did with the Philistines. He's about to do it again. And if you're a young Jewish boy reading this, you're like, oh man, this is it. This is when David becomes king. This is the moment. This is when it happens. So what happens here? Then David arose and like a stealth warrior, he slayed Saul and took the kingdom into his hand and became king of Israel. Nah, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. It didn't happen. Here's what did happen. Then David arose and stealthily cut the corner of Saul's robe. He cut off a corner. Did he miss Like, why didn't he just take his life right then? Why not? 
Y'all, what amazes me is that I love how God is still at work even when we're trying to take matters into our own hands. And that's what's going on right here. That's what's happening. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. And afterwards, David's heart struck him. He's convicted. Because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David, he persuaded his men with heavy language there. He persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and he left the cave and went on his way. Y'all, I think these verses... These specific verses show us that our standards of conviction of sin comes from the work of the Spirit and not just from what our surrounding people see as sin. There's something that Tim Keller said. He said this as, as he thought about David sparing Saul. He said, you say, all right, that's noble and kind and it's kind of moving a little bit, but what does this have to do with us? Well, It actually has a lot, and here's the reason why. You too are surrounded by people, many people who in themselves don't deserve good treatment, like Saul. But because they've been touched by God, like Saul, they do. Genesis chapter 1 says all human beings are made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. David still saw Saul as king. The anointed one. He still saw him as the ruler, the one that God had anointed to be king before he was to be king. So he told his men, no, don't attack him. Don't do that. And Saul got up out of the cave and went on his way. Now we're going to pause here for a minute. I got two quick points and then we'll keep reading through the rest of this chapter. This is a nice little Bible study we're doing this morning. It's, the first point is this. Be faithful wherever God has you. Be faithful wherever God has you. In 1 Samuel 17, when Goliath was taunting the God of Israel, faithfulness looked like, in a sense, taking the matter into your own hands when it came to Goliath, right? He took the matters into his own hands. And everyone, including many of us in this room, would say that here was was the God-given opportunity to once again act and take things into your hands. For David to take this matter into his own hands, nobody would have blamed or judged him. Actually, they would have applauded him and said, yes, well done. This is the time. But David knew that the Holy Spirit would not applaud him. He knew. So what's the difference between Goliath, killing Goliath, and sparing Saul's life? What's the difference? How do you discern this? Y'all, we got some real smart people that work for our church. We got some great leaders. Halim is one of those, all right? I asked Halim, I was like, man, you need to explain this to me, bro. I don't know how, what is happening right now. And here's what he said. Here's the, the question is this. When we are being faithful, when are we being faithful to take initiative and act? And when is it sin to act and take the matter into your own hands? And Halim said this, the primary difference, this is when you probably should take some notes, fleshly initiative acts to bring self-praise and self-glory. Fleshly initiative acts to bring self-praise and self-glory. But godly initiative acts and waits to bring God praise and glory. Sometimes it's in the delay and the waiting that we are tempted to make shortcuts in this life, right? Sometimes it's in that delay that we're tempted to do so. 
So what do we do? I know what I do, but what do we do? We start to deceive ourselves. We start to deceive ourselves a little here, a little bit there. We become prideful and we start to believe that we deserve better. I mean better. We deserve better. And we deserve it now. Maybe you're even thinking, man, <laughs> like, like David's men, you know, like, man, actually, I deserve it now. I want it now. We start to believe lies like, man, you know what? God wants me to actually have intercourse with my spouse because I'm about to marry her. I'm about to marry him. We might as well just, you know, it's okay. We start to think, no, you know what? God wants me to be in control of all my circumstances. So I'm going I'm to find myself getting in control of all. We start to think, man, you know what? God wants me to enjoy every single comfort that gets placed in front of my eyes. He wants me to enjoy that. We start thinking, you know what, God? I think, I think God wants me to divorce my spouse. You know, he doesn't want me to be sad or going through anything hard. So why not take shortcuts so that I don't have to feel all the feelings? All the things that I might feel. Listen, family, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Sometimes it's in the delay, in the waiting, that we are tempted to take shortcuts in this life. So again, what's the primary difference between being faithful to take initiative and being sinful to take matters into your own hands? It's this. Fleshly initiative acts to bring self-praise and self-glory. That's the flesh at work. It is, but godly initiative acts or even waits or and waits to bring God praise and glory because he deserves it. And this is the spirit at work. And we see here, right here in this chapter that David is faithful by leading the people that God brought to him in this season. He didn't try to escape that. But David is also faithful by refusing to kill Saul and rather trusting God that God has something better for him. Faithfulness doesn't just come from experiencing all the good things this world has to offer. It needs to be tested and tested with fire. That's why James says, count it all joy when you meet trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance or produces endurance. So be faithful wherever God has you. Secondly, be patient in the wilderness of waiting. Some of you are in the midst of the wilderness right now. You are. You're waiting and wondering if God is going to do anything to change the circumstances. And you're waiting. You're saying, Lord, I want to believe, but help my unbelief. You're waiting on the Lord to do something with your job. Or you're waiting on the Lord to give you an answer to what you should do next. Waiting on God to heal that son or that daughter or that friend. Waiting on just him. Some of us. Most of us in this room, we're just waiting to be home with Jesus. Church, I want you to look at me. Look at me. Waiting is good for you. Waiting is good for you. You know why I say that? Waiting in the wilderness. Waiting in this wilderness is good. You know why? Because I've been through so much. There have been so many seasons where I've been waiting in the wilderness. And I look back at those seasons and I say, Lord, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for making me wait in my singleness. Lord, thank you even in my marriage for making us wait in different moments. Lord, thank you even with my kids right now. Lord, thank you for making us wait. 
We've been in the wilderness, Lord, thank you. God, thank you. Even the album that just came out, Lord, thank you for making us wait. Been in this waiting in the wilderness. I'm just saying, Lord, I know that you're going to move. I know that you have stuff for me, but Lord, thank you. Thank you. I look back at it and I say, thank you. You know what God's been teaching me in that? In those different moments, what he's probably teaching you right now, he's teaching you patience. He teaches, he's teaching you how to, how to bear burdens with others. He's teaching you long-suffering. He's teaching you endurance. He's teaching you and making you look more and more like Jesus. I don't know if you can see it. When I was in the wilderness of waiting, I couldn't see it. But scripture tells me this. Says this in Romans 5, 3 through 5, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is, has been given to us. And David knew that he would one day be king, but the irony of it all is that he's being chased and pursued by the king right now. Saul is pursuing him, and David goes into the wilderness to hide, to protect himself. But God had something else in store because God was using the wilderness to work on his heart and his life. What kind of king would David have been if he didn't experience the wilderness, y'all? What kind of king would he have been if he went straight from killing Goliath to becoming king? The only things that formed his character were victories. And what if that was true? The only things that formed his character were victories and everything going well. What would it be like to live under a king who knows nothing of suffering? Nothing of weakness. Nothing of having to display self-control and doing what's right even when everybody else is telling him the contrary. And right here we see that his heart was broken about what he had done. God has been at work in him in the wilderness. He has. The many nights he was sleeping, praying, begging God to take away his enemies. He was also hearing from God and learning to trust God all the more. When you find yourself in the wilderness, you don't come out the same. I'm not the same person that was on this stage 15 years ago leading worship for the first time. I'm not the same man. I've walked through different parts of wilderness and I've been changed. God has done a work in me. Sanctification has been happening in the waiting. Sanctification has been happening in the suffering and the sorrow and the trial and tribulation. You are being sanctified to look more and more like Jesus. And God was using the wilderness, this waiting period, to change David and he's using it to change you. He's using it to change you. I don't know what God has in store for you. I don't know what that is. But God was teaching David how to be a king while he was in the wilderness with his group of men that have been entrusted to him. And in this instance, he was teaching David to always trust God's timing and not his own. Let's keep reading. 1 Samuel 24, 8. It says this, Afterwards, David also rose and went out to the cave, and he called after Saul. When I read that, I was like, hold up. Wait, 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 wait. He went out of the cave and called for Saul. Did he forget about the 3,000 men that were chosen? Because I could probably hear this dude say, Saul! You know, I mean, I'm like, did he forget? 
that he forget that there was other people there. Yo, but I, I will say this. What I love about it is his boldness. He was bold. He walked out of that cave with boldness because he knows that the Lord is the one who fights his battles. He knows that. And then what does he say? He says, my Lord, the king. He doesn't just address him by title, or not by name, but he addresses him by title. My Lord, the king. And then when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. Y'all, this takes incredible, incredible humility and an incredible trust in God's sovereignty. It does. And I'll say this. I'm not trying to make any kind of political commentary or political statement, but just giving an observation and bring it into our context. Just as an observation about something incredible that David's doing, can you imagine how much humility and trust in God's sovereignty it would take for a Christian a Christian who is on the left side of our political spectrum, right, to specifically and purposefully call Trump President Trump. Or those who are on the right side of, of, of our, our spectrum of politi- po- politics would say and give specifically giving Biden the honor of being President Biden. You see, Saul has absolutely lost his moral compass at this point. All he's trying to do is find David and kill him. And yet David calls him, listen, not just king, not just Lord, but he says, my Lord, the king. Can you imagine giving this kind of honor to someone that you don't trust? Can you imagine that? And we keep reading, and David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words that men say? Behold, David seeks your, you harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my, put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. You see my father? He even says that. You see my father? See the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt me, hunt me, hunt my life to take it. Well, even though he's being treated wrongly, he's being chased and hunted to be killed, he shows grace. He shows mercy to this man that does not deserve it. What if we were a people like this? What if our church was known for showing grace and mercy to people that we know don't deserve it, or the world would say don't deserve it. And what if we did that? Because we knew, we knew and we know that we are people who've been shown the same kind of mercy and grace. And we were God's enemies at one time and wanting nothing to do with him when we were the ones with our sins who didn't just try to kill Jesus, but we actually did. And yet, While we were enemies of God, God demonstrated his love for us and that Christ died for us. I love, y'all, I love that David points us back to Jesus right here in these words that he shares. And then listen to what he tells him. He tells this to Saul. He says, may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. 
but my hand shall not be against you. Y'all, I think he's praying in this moment as he's talking. As the proverb of the ancients say, then he goes to scripture. He's like, all right, let me bring a few scriptures up in here. Out of the wicked comes wickedness, Saul, but my hand shall not be against you. And then he goes on to say that next, he says, may the Lord therefore be judged and give a sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Y'all, he straight up told him, yo, God's going to avenge me. I got God on my side. God will be the one who fights my battles. In this, again, David is teaching us how we should encounter those who sin against us. This is how we should do it. And then Paul tells us in similar words in Romans 12, verses 14 through 21. What does Paul say? He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of my mom, in the sight of my uncle, in the sight of my friends. No, he says in the sight of all. In the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink, for by doing so, you are heaping burning coals on their head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's how we should respond. That's how. David is showing mercy to Saul. Him showing mercy to Saul is a foreshadowing of God showing mercy to us. Y'all see it? If not, I'm about to tell you. Like Jesus, David had a choice. He did. He could stop it all right then. He could stop the heartache. He could stop the anxiety that came with being pursued and hunted down by the king. He knew he was supposed to be king and he could have just taken this route and not spared Saul's life and became king by force. He could have done that, forcing his own hand instead of waiting on the Lord's perfect timing. And as I read, the men tell him in verse 4, he said, Behold, I give you your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. That's what his men told him. But those weren't the exact words of God. God was told him this, that about the Philistines. It wasn't about Saul. So these men were deceived. They were being deceitful and twisting the truth just a little bit to get their way and to get what they wanted. They wanted David to be king right now. Y'all remember this is the day? They wanted him to be king right then and there in that point. They wanted him to be that. And I'm reminded as I read that, that deceitfulness I was reminded that Jesus was also tempted in the same way as he also went into the wilderness and was tempted to not trust God's timing and take shortcuts. But his response was different from David's, right? It was. He responded with truth right then and there. David's response was delayed. He first responded with stealth action, but then he was convicted as he remembered that God would be the one to make him king in God's timing, not his. Let me show you something real quick in 1 Samuel 15 that happened several years before this instance happened with David. It's something that happened with Saul and the prophet Samuel. Listen to this. 
Saul had just disobeyed God. And the kingship was about to be taken from him. This is a few years before. This is before David was anointed king. It says this in 1 Samuel 15, 26 through 28. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned away to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to your neighbor, a neighbor of yours who is better than you are. Did you see that? Did you see it? Y'all can talk. Did you see it? I saw it. This attention to detail that God has in the story that he's writing. There's so much attention to detail. Without David even knowing it, God was about to use this moment of him cutting the corner of Saul's robe both to convict David and to convict Saul. I believe the words that Saul shares here are a direct reflection of what took place when Saul tore the robe from Samuel. And here's what Saul says after David finishes speaking. Saul says this. As soon as David finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, David, my son? And Saul lifted up his voice and he wept. Conviction. He wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I. For I have repaid me, you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if you with with good... For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know. I know that you shall surely be king. And that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. You see that conviction from Saul in these words? There's conviction there. This has happened with me and my wife several times where I deserve that lady's wrath. But she showed me some grace. Has this ever happened to you before? Has it? Have you had friends call you out on sin? How did you respond in that moment? What was your response? Was it the same similar kind of conviction? Was it? What's your response? David showing mercy to Saul is a foreshadowing of God showing mercy to us. David is being Christ-like, amen? He is. But Jesus fully embodied this. Jesus fully embodied this humility that David was showing. He was even more humble than David was because I know this to be true because Philippians says this, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. He tells us to have this humility in our minds as we think about Jesus. Have this in mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and under the earth and and, and in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the true king. He is. Jesus is the better David. And he doesn't just spare your life by not putting you to death. He doesn't. He doesn't. 
He has all authority to do so. But no, he died for you. He died. He lets you live. You want to know who you are in this story? Some of us want to be like David, right? We're like, man, yeah, I'm David. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm showing mercy to people all the time. But y'all, when I checked this, when I read this, <laughs> I realized that I was more like Saul than I could ever imagine. We are more like Saul than we could ever imagine, church. If you're anything like me, you want to control your life. You want to control it. You want to be in charge. You want to have all the power. How many of us want to indulge in all the comforts this life has to offer? Don't raise your hand. How many of us want to do that? I know I do. I want to. We all want to dethrone God from our hearts. We do. We want to be king. We want to be in control. We want to be the ones who are happy and make sure we are happy no matter what it may cost us. No matter if it costs me my family. No matter if it costs me my own faithfulness to God. No matter if it costs me my marriage or friendships. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, and how I want. I don't know if you see it. I don't know if you see it now, but I saw it this week. I am more like Saul than I could ever imagine. But even though we are more like Saul than we could ever imagine, you know what God does? (laughs) We see it here in this passage. He's kind. He's kind. He shows kindness and mercy. And his kindness leads to repentance. What does God do? He comes out. (laughs) He comes out. He finds you. Instead of giving me the death that I deserve, he shows me kindness. And the effect of God's kindness is always going to be repentance. Jesus is the better David. He doesn't just spare my life or spare your life by not putting you to death when you should when, you, when he should have. No, he lets you live. He lets you live, but then what does he do, y'all? He doesn't just stop right there, no. He comes out of the cave. He got up out of the grave with all power in his hands and all authority in his hands like David but so much better than David he comes out and he calls you by name my son my daughter look what I have done for you look at what I have done for you his pursuit is relentless you want to know what happened after David and Saul have this encounter Saul went home It says Saul went home and David, knowing that Saul would probably sin against him again, he went to the stronghold. He knew that Saul would probably pursue him again and try to kill him. And he did. He does. But you know what Jesus did and does for us? (laughs) He doesn't just let you go home. No. He goes with you. He goes with you. Even though he knows that we, all of us, will try to run away again. All of us will sin again. Even though he knows that we are prone to wonder, he finds you no matter where you are. No matter if you're being faithful or unfaithful, wherever he has you. 
Whether you are being patient or impatient in the wilderness of waiting, you know what he does in the midst of it all? He is working. He's working on your heart. He's doing something to your heart. He's working on you. And if you feel that tug in your heart today, please, please, I plead for you and I pray for you even right now. Don't try to change it. Don't try to fight it. If he's begging you, he's pulling you in to change. You know what he's doing right there? He's pulling you in closer, deeper. It's him working on your heart. And I'll close by saying this. David went back into the wilderness and waited on the Lord. He was taking suffering or whatever would come and following God, no matter the cost. He could have gained everything by killing Saul, but he didn't. Following God was more important. And that reminded me of Jesus' words that he gave to his disciples. If any man wants to come after me, he must first deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. If a man wants to save his life, he'll lose it. But if he loses his life for my sake, it will be saved. What profits a man or a woman to gain the world and forfeit or lose their soul? Or lose their soul. If I want to be in control, and I do, my life will be lost. But if I or we lose it for his sake, church, oh, the joy we will have in Jesus. I'm sinful, y'all. I am. I do want to gain the whole world. I do. But it's not worth my soul. It's not. The accolades, the fun, the joys, the comforts, and all the temporary things that sin brings us or brings you or brings me, it's not worth it. I don't want to lose my soul, but you know what I do want? I want to hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what I want. Let me pray for us. So, Lord, you're the one who's worthy. You're the one who deserves the glory. You're the one who deserves the honor. God, I humbly say right now, thank you for showing mercy to Saul through David because it's the foreshadowing of you showing mercy to us even right now. I'm thankful, Lord, for what you are doing in the hearts of men and women even right now as they're listening to the sound of my voice. So God, we pray, we ask, we ask you to help us, Lord. Help us to live this life, Lord, in a way that is pleasing to you. Would you do that? Ask him right now. Lord, would you help me? Help me to confess sin. Help me to be faithful wherever you have me. To ask him that. Lord, would you help me to be faithful wherever you have me? Some of you are in this wilderness of waiting right now. Ask him, Lord, would you help me to be patient in this wilderness of waiting? Would you continue to remind me Remind me, Lord, that you're working on my heart still, even in this place. You're doing the work. God, I know you hear our prayers. And now as we respond through song all across the congregations, all around our church, Lord, I just simply pray, God, that you would continue to do that work in us. Remind us of truth. We need you. 
You're our hope. You're where our joy is found, no matter where we are. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.